for 11 years in a row. Ranking Arizona's number one most trusted referral network, rosieonthehouse.com. Information that you can't get anywhere else. And over three decades of Rosie on the House. Here we go. You know, one of the reasons I look forward to doing this show every single Saturday, especially right now in this season of events, is it's the one place I can go and not hear the word COVID one time for three hours. It's the one safe place to come live. It's called my house, Rosie on the House, and I'm glad you're tuned in. Come on in. We got the doors wide open. Pour yourself a big old glass of Arizona sun tea. Grab yourself a seat, and let's talk about whatever you'd like to visit about as it relates to your house, home, castle, or cabin. I shouldn't admit this, but I haven't tuned into the news or opened a paper in two weeks just because I'm so sick of it. Man, man, I, man. I know what it's going to say talk, already. I'm not talk, even going to waste my time. Talk about running a topic into the ground. <laughs> Woo! I, I think that's healthy to take a little break from the news. Nobody's built to manage that kind of information not, every day. And it's not even like I'm a news junkie. If I'm looking for housing stories or topics on real estate that, you know, there's, add content there, no, for the broadcast, there's, no there's other, none of it. There's no other news happening. So I Ever. just... In the whole, in the whole universe. Haven't nothing, even checked. Nothing's happening. <laughs> So we are your COVID-free zone. Come on in. Y'all give us a call, one 767 4348 and we'll talk about your favorite things, you and your house. Did you see the report of what sales are going through the roof right now, given this season of events? Boats, Do tell. <laughs> they, I, I understand they can't keep boats on the lot. Well, for a while our, there, when... I think it's changed, Romy, but for a while, the only way to get even near a lake was to have a boat. That's they right. They had closed all the beaches, so That's if you right. wanted to be on the water, you had to have your own boat. Yeah. And if you want a sailboat, I've got one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That's right, Romy. Uh, Romy. The 23-foot puma. Romy's got Uncle. a sailboat for sale. That's right. Uncle, Uncle John wanted a new motorcycle, but he couldn't get one until he got rid of the sailboat, so his answer was to drop it off at Romy's house. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like 300 miles from the ocean, right? Sick and dry estate. That's how hoarding starts. Do? You better start drawing some boundaries well, oh, there, buddy. So, well, we've got... I'm trying to get rid of this sailboat because I don't know what to do with it. So we've got... I'd love to know how to sail. I'm boat. very fascinated by it, but I don't have time with it right well, you're now. Just an hour from just, Pleasant. Pleasant's gonna, a good sailing It's just going to rot, though, right now. <laughs> I don't have time for it right now. All right. Um, so boats are, are flying off the lots. Uh, I understand RVs are flying off the lots. And apparently, and I'd heard it kind of secondhand in Arizona, but the Wall Street Journal ran it this week. Second homes are hot. Is that just so you have some place to go with everything closed? I, I th- I'm trying I, to figure out the, the thinking. I, I think people are maybe just looking for that isolated, safe place to go. Uh, and so we wanted yeah, to talk. on quarantine, where would you rather be? At your house and this? In Payson or in Phoenix, right? Right. And you're, and you're, you want to be in, in your apartment in you know, 51st Avenue in Maryland, or you want to be at... You know, Forest Road 87 underneath the pines. Yeah, <laughs> man. Well, if you are contemplating uh, that second home, we kind of wanted to bring that topic up today and visit with you all about it. If you 
know the area of the state you're interested in. Of course, one of the first things you've got to do is decide, am I going to buy an existing piece of property with a finished home already on it? Or am I going to pick up a little piece of dirt and bring in the utilities, the water? Do I have to drill a well? Do I, can I get a perk test and get the septic tank installed? How about electricity? I don't guess anybody brings in telephone lines anymore, right? No, oh, maybe internet lines, maybe. Okay, all right, okay. Uh, I think I'm the only one in the world who still has a landline at their home, and I don't know why we have it. Just it seems so. like the only, peop- the only people that have that number now are people that want money. That's for sure. <laughs> so let's take a look at some of the steps that, as, as long-term Arizona people who have had that second piece of property and searched out, you know, for a— for a long time, we would buy little bitty pieces that needed help in one way or another. Uh, then we found the piece that I thought I wanted to write my name on for life, and we bought it. And uh, Then the spotted leopard frog moved in. Then it became, uh, protected, piece then of it property. became a protected piece of property. <laughs> and then the Corps of Engineering got involved. Um, but in shopping... Uh, that area you want to go to. And when we bought that piece, we were actually intending to buy in a, uh, in a completely different area of Arizona. We had our heart set on one particular area. And the more times we went down there and looked and looked and looked, the more things we didn't like. So we changed direction by about almost 90 degrees and ended up, uh, up high, uh, as almost as high as you can get in Arizona. We were just at 9,000 feet. Uh, and we started driving the roads and just seeing what realtor, what local realtor in the area seemed to have a good number of signs out. And were they approachable? And what kind of backup information did they have when you showed up to ask about a particular piece of property? And we interviewed three or four realtors. We actually have a buyer's guide on our website, rosieonthehouse.com, talking about how to pick that rural piece of property. Uh, There's a lot of places in Arizona, believe it or not, they're not too crazy about outsiders coming in. And you, you may be politely steered towards that one piece of property that has some obstacles to it. Don't hesitate to spend time in the county recorder's office. Before we bought our property, I went into St. John's, Arizona. I went into the county courthouse, and I spent two whole days in the basement looking through the records of this particular property. I had the entire history of this piece of property, everybody that had ever owned it. Uh, And it just was extremely interesting. Don't hesitate if you're shopping for property. To do that search yourself. So you find yourself a realtor. You got to keep in mind, if we're going to start from scratch, what are we going to do with all the utilities? And what are we going to do for the structure? And that's where we would like to introduce today the concept of manufactured homes. When people, and, and I got into this a couple years ago, when a, when a couple up in New River called me, and said, we want to move our mom onto our property. I went out and met them, a very nice custom home, and they wanted to build a 
mother-in-law casita detached in their backyard. They had a they had a big lot. And I said, you know, I can do this, and I would love to do it, and it's going to look really good when we're done. But we're going to be somewheres, lock, stock, and barrel finished, about $300 a square foot for a 800 to 1,000 square foot casita. Is that in your comfortable budget range? Well, I had to pick them up off the floor first and kind of fan them a little bit and <laughs> get a wet rag and put it on their forehead. Uh, and so we got in a conversation, and I said, you know what? There are manufactured home facilities right here in the valley. Uh, you ought to just go take a tour and see if there's a floor plan that jumps out at you that you could accept. You could put a septic, run the electric and the water, and just drop this thing in the backyard. Boom. And that's what they ended up doing. And it was for one-third the price of what I could have custom-built a casita for. And the first question they had to ask, though, was was it within their um, code to be able to put that on That's the property? Right. There's a lot of parts of town you can't do that. Yeah, they were on the fringe between New River and Carefree and Anthem, and they had a, a nice piece of property, so they, they were set. But it worked very well for them. They took Mom to the manufactured home facility, saw a floor plan immediately she fell in love with. They ordered it. There was a little bit of site prep to get ready, boom, boom, boom. Delivery day comes, pick it up off the truck, drop it on the ground, and move in. Got to be in bada boom. Certainly better than a granny pod. So, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah it's, it is. So we're going to visit about manufactured homes here a little bit because we've been doing some research on the difference between a modular home, uh, a manufactured home, uh, a park model. Jennifer went and interviewed somebody who said that 80% of the manufactured homes he sells don't go in to community parks. Nope, it's people looking for their own space and getting away from HOAs and a little, little piece of land. Little little, elbow little, room. Yes, elbow room is a good thing. Yeah, and, and I liked the way uh, Jennifer went and met the man, and um, he kind of took you through the whole buying process on how he gets people to think about all the steps involved. But you can sit there in his office and specify the floor covering, the cabinets, the countertops, the fixtures, the light fixtures, you know, everything, and have it ready, done, in under four months. Yeah, and you want to make sure that you find somebody who's going to spend the time to look at the, the whole picture. They're not just trying to sell you, like, the last model or the biggest sale, you know, that they got going on. This gentleman helped a lot in... Um, you're just looking at the price of utilities and grading and permits and all that sort of thing. So there's a lot more to it than just buying a house and sticking it on a piece of property. And these these structures were in about the $50 a square foot range. Folks, you can't build a freestanding garage for 50 bucks. Pour the concrete, run some electricity and some water to it, stand four walls, put a roof on it you're going to be over 50 bucks a foot. So these are finished homes at 50 bucks a foot. I asked a, I asked a good friend last night, I, I met him uh, in the afternoon. I said, what? And, and he's been asked to build a home up at Cortez Lake. I said, uh, what, what, what are you going to be able to build that home for? He says, I, I'm not sure. I said, I bet you can't do it for under 250 bucks a foot. And he said, well, I'll, I'll know soon. I'm going to keep you posted. So 
this is a very, very affordable way to be considering about that second home rush that apparently has been caused by our season of events. Yeah, let's make this place your own. That's what we do here at Rosie on the House. Talking about the large surge that we're seeing in second home acquisitions, we're talking our way through some of the options of how you might accomplish that second home. You know, there were an awful lot, an awful lot of structures built by fraternity brothers and (laughs) cases of beer on weekends in the 50s and the 60s, all through northern Arizona. That, that's, how, that's how cabins got built back then. You just dragged your fraternity brothers up there and fed them and gave them beverages and refreshments and told them what to do and scrapped together whatever material you could, and you threw the cabin up. Well, there are easier ways to get it done, and you probably protect yeah. your friendships. <laughs> the, and, and the permitting uh, <laughs> and, and rules and regulations of today you know, are, are a lot more stringent. You were talking about the price difference of uh, manufactured home versus a site-built home. And a, a big reason for that is, one, you, know, you don't have nearly the excavation cost or the concrete cost. You know, when you're putting a manufactured home in, you know, sometimes it's on stilts, sometimes they do a stem wall, but you don't have a complete concrete pad poured in, so you don't have any of that underground plumbing. And the amount of trades... You know, a manufactured home is all put together in one spot. You're not bringing the concrete guy out. You're not bringing the framer out, the plumber out, the AC guy. The you know the the amount of travel and labor time to come to that one site built home. You know that that's a lot of your cost right there is just pure labor. It is absolutely just the just the commute time of getting to that one particular site by the 130 individuals that are going to be involved in putting that house together. So the manu- you've got manufactured housing, then you've got modular housing. Now, you know, some of the, some of the earlier pioneers in modular housing were Dale Webb and John F. Long. Uh, I can remember in the 60s, you'd go out to those subdivisions and they would be delivering whole wall panels and just standing them up and bolting them down to the concrete floor. John F. Long ended up going, being the brilliant man that he was, and I'm not being facetious, that man was brilliant. He, he opted to go into complete masonry. All his homes were masonry. Uh, smart man, a very smart man. And those were some of the best-built starter homes you could ever possibly want. And they're still around, aren't and, they? Oh, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, I mean, they are, they are solid, solid bones buildings uh and he made them affordable uh del webb that's how he started sun city modular homes you build the the components in a covered arena uh that's air-conditioned space uh none of the woods getting wet rained on sunburned twisted dried out it all gets put in place to the 16th of an inch assembled and drop ship people ask me are they built well i just want to ask you something do you think you could pick your house up put it on the back of a trailer and drive it down the road and think it's going to hold together (laughs) 
It won't. I promise you. Let's see if we can get to Ken real quick before we go to the bottom of the hour break and see if we answer Ken's question at Ken's home. Good morning, Ken. Hi, Rosie. Good morning. Um, real quick, I'm having my roof redone, and I was thinking about attic insula- uh, ventilation. If uh, Would a ridge vent here in Phoenix area be a good thing to do? Yeah, any any type of passive attic ventilation will be fine. A ridge vent is great. I, I hot, hot air rises. You put a slit across the very peak of the ridge. Make sure you've got a couple intakes around the... That's the key. Around the base where the, the wall and the roof come together. And uh, it's when you go to Taliesin West... They've got on their tour one specific spot that they they stop, and it's got this slope and the way it's angled, and it it was for passive air conditioning because yes. hot air rises. So even on days when it was still, you could go catch a little breeze right here in this one spot out of the sun because of the way he had designed it for to, to catch that rising air movement. Absolutely. Now, Ken, what we tell people is never power ventilate your attic, ever. Never, even if it's a solar-powered power ventilator. Don't do it. Never suck air out of your attic. But your ridge vent, passive ventilation, make sure you've got good import intake vents around the bird blocking or gable vents on the end, and you're going to be in great shape. You'll be glad you did it. And I appreciate the call. Yeah, there's no... When, I, when you I, put, I fight this. There's with no way. All the time. There's no way you get enough intake into the attic uh, to to make up for that. You, what happens when you put those fans on, is it's got to draw air from somewhere, and eventually, once you've got the negative pressure in the attic, it starts coming from inside the house. So around your lights and your ceiling fans and every. Every spot there's a penetration. Bathroom fart fans. It, it's sucking air conditioned air out, right of, out of your house and throwing it up above above your roof line. So it's not not a wise idea. The concept is you think it makes sense, but physically, functionally, not a not a good investment. Think passive. Folks, I have to tell you, as a remodeler here in Arizona, the growing demand for multi-generational housing on the same property um, has led us to do a lot of researching into the manufactured housing industry and how it can fulfill that demand. And I have to tell you, Jennifer and I lived in a manufactured house in the early 80s. And when I went back and looked at them just two years ago, I was pleasantly surprised what I saw. With manufacturers right here in Arizona, you can truly shop local, look at the floor plans, look at the finishes, and touch them, walk through them. I was surprised at the price. They were delivering these finished manufacturers' homes for less than half of what I could build a casita for in somebody's backyard. And then the speed and efficiency of the whole process was impressive. You just schedule what day do you want your house delivered. You don't have to listen to the concrete, the framing, and the drywall crew showing up at 5 o'clock in the morning in your backyard for four months. So in in all of this discovery, we found the uh, manufactured housing industry of Arizona. And I'd like to bring in the president, Mr. Ken Anderson, 
just to kind of open our eyes as to what manufactured housing really is. Mr. Anderson, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Well, thank you, Rosie. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on the air with you. Um, I've listened to you many for many years, and I've always enjoyed your candor. You you have a very trustworthy message to the to the community. Out, you know, people doing uh, work at the home or home builders or remodelers. I think it's a great program that you offer. Our industry in Arizona, a little under two hundred members. And we represent the manufacturers, the retailers, the lenders, the installers, and the transporters. So we basically cover the entire process of purchasing and delivering and installing a manufactured home. And I think the um, I think the term manufactured home kind of gets used interchangeably with with mobile home and modular home. Can you tell us a little bit about the difference? Yes. Um, Rosie, the the original products were called mobile homes, and up until June of 1976, uh, they were built to a a much lesser building code called the ANSI, American National Standards Institute, and that's the same code that builds travel trailers and many park models as well. The federal government in 1976, they established a HUD building code, which was a much higher standard and it addressed everything in the home, the electrical, the plumbing, size of the rooms, the entire structure, roof loads, the insulation. And the, the advantage that the HUD code offered the industry was because it's a federal building code, we could ship from state to state, which is not possible with modular homes. Modular homes are built to the IRC, International Residential Code, Generally speaking, each state has adopted different codes, kind of precludes moving modular homes from state to state. So the modular homes um, built to the IRC code generally stay in state. I was surprised when we were helping a family who wanted their move their mom onto their property, and they wanted me to build a casita in their backyard. And I said, well, I can do that, but... I think you ought to go down and take a look at some of these models and see if we just can't find something to drop in your backyard. It it was amazing to me. I mean, they found the floor plan they wanted in less than a half hour and said, we could have this at your house built with your finishes in three months. Boom, delivered. And all you have to do is get it connected. So, And then in visiting with them, I don't know, I was just naive. I thought the majority of manufactured homes we're residing in manufactured home parks. But the person that sold us this unit said, no, no, 80% of what we sell go direct to an individual home site. That surprised me. Yeah, and that's evolved over the years, Rosie, in that traditionally when they were building single-section mobile homes, they tended to go into rental communities. But the new manufactured home I think the percentages are about 65% go on private property, 35% go into communities now. That's interesting. Well, I mean, it, it offers so many convenient options to our old-fashioned, inefficient, expensive way of custom and semi-custom building everything out on site. Now, we have the Registrar of Contractors kind of as our overriding police department, 
the, the, the manufactured housing industry as well has kind of a policing agency, don't they? Yes, they do. It's, it's called the Department of Housing, the Office of Manufactured Housing, and they oversee essentially the entire industry. Um, they license our retailers, our manufacturers, our installers, and uh, they physically inspect every house while it's being built in the factory. They physically inspect every home as it's being installed and as it's, as it's completed before occupancy. Yeah, we, we have a good watchdog, a number of inspectors throughout the state, and sometimes we have to wait a few days to get an inspection. Um, there are some agencies within the state that also do inspections called IGAs. And when I would put a unit into a park, what would be my protections of that park? Uh, I, I actually know of a story where when the 202 came through Mesa, there were several parks that had to be condemned and, and closed up to make way for the 202. What is a resident is my protection against my address? What are, what are, what are my protections there? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. And um, in the 1980s, um, the industry, in concert with the state legislature, developed the Landlord-Tenant Act. And basically, the landlord and the tenants have obligations to each other. And in the event of a park closure, for example, like with 101 coming through, or rent increases that are higher than 10%, or changing of an age restriction, uh, the consumer has the right then to move the home and uh, access funds from from the relocation fund, which allows them to move their lo- move their home within a hundred mile radius. Interesting. And recover, if not all, most of the expense of moving that home. And these manufactured homes now are are eligible for conventional mortgages, HUD mortgages, VA mortgages, FHA mortgages just like a standard house. Yes, and, and we have um, actually a new product pushed by both Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac that very much like a site-built home has all the features of a site-built home, including the exterior elevation. And we have, as a result of that, the same financing that site builders have, same down payment, <clears throat> the same closing costs. Uh, right down the line, we have the exact same program available uh, as home builders. Well, and I had the opportunity of actually working inside a manufactured home plant right after high school back in the 70s down in South Louisiana. And I tell you, when your studs come rolling out on an assembly line or clamped exactly in place and you've got the nail gun and you're you're sinking three, boom, 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 boom. I mean, it is so exact. And people ask me, are they well-built? I said, I promise you, they're better well-built in that factory than we can ever build them out on the site. They are well-built units. I think Henry Ford figured that out well (laughs) before we did. The other thing, Rosie, that's impressive is that it's built in a controlled atmosphere. There's cooling in the buildings. There's protection from the rain. Materials are protected. It goes down a production line, and you get a much finer product as a result. Well, Mr. Anderson, I can't thank you enough as president of the Manufacturer Housing Industry of Arizona of taking time out of your busy schedule to join us and give us a little bit of education on your particular industry. From me, my family, and all of our listeners, I'd just like to say thanks a million.
Well, thank you, Rosie. I very much appreciate being involved. And I think there's a lot of uh, people that have a false impression of manufactured homes, you know, contractors and um, lending. And I think I think we're going to see that that change over over the next couple of years. We ha- we have to because with the labor shortage we're experiencing in the trades and the efficiencies that you gain in this type of system, you're going to see them get more and more custom, more and more unitized where, okay, I want the, this living room matched with this library matched with this master bedroom suite matched with this kitchen. And you'll be able to just, it'll be like building Legos and they'll just put the whole thing together and deliver it to you. Uh, they've been doing it around the world. Uh, but unfortunately, the industry uh, had a rough start. Like, like when I worked in a manufactured home plant in the 70s, and I was in, South, I was in Jennings, Louisiana, and it was right by the airport. And uh, what we were building, basically, guys would take delivery of, and then they'd drive them down to the coast, the Gulf Coast, plant four telephone poles, in the ground, take a crane out there and lift the mobile home up on top of the four posts to be above the storm surge and the tide. Well, if you want to see an interesting picture, just Google this, Holly Beach, H-O-L-L-Y, Holly Beach. I was thinking exactly the same beach. Before and after Hurricane Rita, there are five blocks of modular housing a mile long and they are packed in there pretty tight hurricane rita didn't leave one of them (laughs) not one of them but that's not what we're building today in these manufactured home plants i have helping that one couple get this done really opened my eyes it really did was a swimming hole and a fishing pole and the feel of a muddy road between my toes. Home was a back porch swing where I would sit and mom would sing amazing grace while she hung out the clothes. Those of you that uh, know our family, uh, from listening to us for so many years, know that Jennifer has had to put up with a lot <laughs> in the years we've been married and, and uh, in construction and uh, as a younger man who knew everything, um, got caught in an economic cycle. Uh, we had to move from uh, a nice home that we lived in to a manufactured home that I had bought property in what's now called Anthem. It was on the side of uh, Circle Mountain. Uh, and Jennifer had to drive out there with a couple kids, babies, infants, and sign off on the delivery of this unit. And we didn't have cell phones back then. So the, you tell the story. Well, at the time, we actually had four kids, and your mom came with me. And it was a brand new, you know, what you would picture as a single wide, well, I think, what's the middle? It, it wasn't double, it wasn't single, it was something in between. Was there such a thing? I don't know. I don't think so. so I, th- I think it was a single line. Okay. So it was up on the side it's of the hill. It was all we could afford at the time. It was up on the side of the <laughs> it was Rocky than, Mountain. It was more than we could afford. 
And uh, yeah, we had to haul water. It was exciting times. Yeah. But the day that they the delivery came, there was a dip in the road, and the driver pulled out there. It was way off in the middle of nowhere, and he got out and he looked at me and said, Now, Jennifer, I think I can get this thing across this wash in one piece. But if I don't, it's yours. <laughs> he said, But if, I, if you want me to do this, you have to sign permission for me to do this, that, you know, that it's okay. Man, I sweated. <laughs> I looked at him. I said, he said, I really think I can. I really think I can. So I signed the paper. And he got in that big rig, and he started up the road and through the dip. He made it through the dip, and then he, off the other side. And then getting up to the pad on the side of the mountain, he blew out like three tires. <laughs> and your mother had her head between her knees. <laughs> and, and I was hooting and hollering and doing a happy dance. But, oh, my gosh, that was exciting. <laughs> what, did we, what, what did we live in that? We lived in that house, what, two years? Two and a half, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Hey, let's bring Steve into the conversation. He's called the show. Let's see if we can get his question on before we uh, have to break for top of the hour break. Steve calling from Scottsdale. Good morning, sir. Rosie, Rosie, Rosie. Good morning. Good morning. Longtime listener. And as fate would have it, my wife and I just bought one of these homes. Okay. And we're going to get it in about four months. Here's the question. I've got to have it hooked up for the plumbing, you know, the water and stuff like that. Do I do that all first or do I wait for the the uh, structure to come and then do it afterwards. Well, and you know where you're going to put this, and is it out on a piece of rural piece of property someplace, or is it in a park, or what? No, it's it's in a, a downtown Scottsdale area that's uh, zoned for two houses. I've got one on it right now, so I know where I'm going to put it. Okay. Um, well, they, they'll be able to provide you the plan. I would get the utilities up close to where you're going to put it, uh, but not interfere with their delivery of the unit. Uh, they'll coordinate all that with you and kind of coach you along. Do you mind me asking, who, who did you pick it up from? You know, I don't even know who uh, my wife bought it from, quite frankly. Okay, all right. Um, they'll, they'll coach you through it, Steve. They've got all the contacts and the uh, associations and strategic alliances with people that do it all the time that can kind of coach you through it. But generally speaking, we get the utilities kind of close. Don't interfere with the delivery. Let them drop it, and then you just finish. It's plug and play, baby. You drop the unit down, plug in the sewer, plug in the fresh water, plug in the electric, and boom. You're good to go. And just about, uh, Rosie, just about any good plumber would be able to, to plug and play those kind of things for the for the water? Yes. There's nothing tricky about the plumbing that's any different than a regular home. Not Nothing tricky at all. You'll be connecting to city sewer in Scottsdale. You'll be connecting to city water. You're not having to well, deal with septic. You're not having to deal with well water. Yeah, any any plumber should be able to do it. No problem. And Steve, if you get our newsletter or you check out our website on the blog today, there's all kinds of links to the like manufactured home industry of Arizona, different distributors and stuff. You can look towards the bottom of the article and find all kinds of good resources as well. A whole resource well, thank guide. Thank you, guys. For you. I feel much better about it now. Okay, man. Good luck. And I would definitely get the plumber out there. Scope it out. To the, the water supply is easy. That's not a big deal. It's the water drain because you've got to have a slope. And how, you know, are you going to have to put an extra layer of brick <laughs> foundation to set this on top of so you've got enough slope for the drain line to get all the way out to the street? Depending on where he is on the lot. That's so a very that, critical consideration. That You definitely want him out there ahead of time for that to make sure your, your pad's prepped properly and high enough 
that you can get the proper drainage away because um, you, you don't want to pump that stuff. No, you don't. There, there are pumping tools. Stations. And you see them a lot in basements and stuff, but no. You, you, you want natural gravity flow once, once and done, and, you know, pumps go bad, and that's, that's not fun. Gravity's worked from the beginning of yes. time. <laughs> just, just count on gravity. You're going to be a lot happier and a lot less maintenance intensive. That's for sure. So I hope we've opened your eyes with the surge that we are seeing in second home buying and that getaway piece of property. And just know, if you do find something rural, it's hard to find people to come out to service. You. Yes, it so is. You've got to be prepared to be a little handy yourself. Or be patient waiting for Good somebody point. to come out and service you. Because, you know, when you live rural and you live remote, there's not a lot of people. There's you know, obviously limited resources to come help you. So you got you to be a little self-sufficient. <laughs>